Peace family, it's Mariah, your community engagement lead here at Legacy Center in East Point, Georgia. Thank you once again for tuning into our ARC program. Tonight we have Tosin, who's gonna actually be teaching you about commercial real estate. Um, he has years of experience in this industry. So please make sure you have your pen and your paper or your tablet ready for all your questions. Um, we will be monitoring the comments throughout the session. So he will be able to answer those questions for you throughout this lesson or save those questions for the end. Um, and we ask that you're in this, if you're in this live by yourself, make sure you share with a friend so that you can hold each other accountable. And I'm gonna go ahead and hand it off to Laini Davis, our community manager. Thanks Mariah. Yes. Peace family, welcome back. We're so excited that you're sticking with us throughout this ARC program. Um, I hope that you're finding that you're in for a treat. We're learning so much alongside with you all. Um, as Mariah mentioned, be sure to engage, drop your questions. We're definitely going to pass them along, make sure that we get the answers to all of those for you. Uh, we also wanted to let you know, our Legacy Center officially reopened on Monday. So visit us at LegacyCenter.com to schedule your tour. We would love to show you around our beautiful building, um, secure some office space for you, show you private event space. We have so much to offer for you to grow your business with us. Um, and we want you to be a part of that on-site as well as virtually. Yes. So stay tuned. Um, Tosin is coming up shortly and enjoy this lesson. Thanks, Beth. Peace out. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? My name is Tosin Oduwale, and today we are going to talk about uh, commercial real estate. Uh, before we get into it, just want to kind of double down on why it's important to understand commercial real estate. So um, we talk a lot about building generational wealth and building wealth in general. Um, having assets, physical, tangible assets, are one of the key pillars to building a legacy for yourself, for your family, and also being able to just provide a foundation that generations uh, moving forward can stand on that you have built. Um, when you look at some of the famous wealthy families like the Kennedys, the Rockefellers, and the, the Carnegies, they, they all come from a strong uh, foundation that's built on assets. And so um, we're gonna go into details about that. Uh, we're going to touch on what I feel are the five key pillars of commercial real estate, which are number one, uh, finding a property. Number one, you have to know where you're gonna buy, what city, what state, what county, what neighborhood. Um, you're gonna have to know how you're gonna get funded for that property, number two. Uh, number three, you're gonna have to know how do you analyze it? How do you know if uh, this commercial property is a property you should buy or that you should pass on? Uh, number four, we're gonna talk about how to manage that property. Uh, very, very important thing is that there are people who have bought property or started business businesses and ran them into the ground because they didn't know how to properly manage them. So uh, building wealth is not just about what you can acquire, but how you can manage it and sustain it for the long term. Um, last but not least, we're going to talk about how you can utilize the assets or the commercial property that you have acquired to leverage to get more and to, to continue on and further and further build your empire. All right, so uh, number one, we're gonna talk about how do you search for a property? So there are a number of ways that you can do that. Um, if you are a beginner, or if you are looking to invest in a city or a locale that you're not familiar with, uh, the first thing you're gonna wanna do is reach out to a real estate broker or agent that is familiar with commercial property in that city. So you don't just wanna get your, your aunt or your mom or your cousin that's a new real estate agent that doesn't really have any years of experience. You wanna get somebody who has, who, who has the, the background and the knowledge and knows uh, what a good commercial property looks like and how to search for it. 
Um, number two, one thing that I always do is that before I work with a broker looking for investment property, I want to make sure that they themselves also own investment property. Uh, you wouldn't want to take um, information or knowledge or guidance from somebody who is not experienced in the arena that, that you're trying to play in. Uh, I can use an analogy like this. If you are on a basketball team, would you want your head coach to be someone who's never, ever played basketball before? You know, um, how, how do you really know the quality of guidance that they're giving you if they've never actually been in that arena? So one of the first questions you want to ask a broker before you work with them is if they own any property. Many of them do not. <laughs> Many brokers do not. And, you know, they're simply just in the business of real estate to get a commission, make money. And that's that's fine. That, that's all well and dandy. But um, you want to be intentional, making sure that every person on your team is equipped to help you get to the next level. So the way that you can find uh, a broker, there's many ways. Uh, you can go to Google and you can just type in investment real estate agent and then put your city and state and click search. And you'll probably get 15 to 20 different uh, real estate brokerages, sometimes individual realtors, if they have a brand for themselves, that will come up. And you're going to want to call them and ask them a series of questions. Uh, a call like that would go like this. You give them a call, they answer. You say, hey, how you doing? My name is Tosin. Um, I'm looking to invest in commercial property in said city. Do you have any agents in your brokerage that are experts in commercial real estate? And if they say yes, then you say, okay, can I speak to them? If they say no, you say, all right, thank you for your time. You hang up the phone, you go on to the next call. So if you are able to get in touch with a broker who has experience in commercial real estate in that city or that state, your next question will be, have you ever invested in real estate in this city? If they say no, you say, okay, is there anyone in your brokerage who has? If they say no, you say, hey, thank you for your time. And you call someone else. If they say yes, then you say, okay, what type of commercial property do you own? What would you recommend for me? Um, typically, I kind of want to get an idea of where that broker's headspace is and what opportunities they think are available or what they know are available just to get a gauge of what's out there. Um, especially from somebody who has uh, experience in that locale. So um, the, this first call is just going to be a lot of you listening and taking notes. Now, if you already have an idea of what you're trying to buy, for example, you're looking for a 10-unit apartment building and you want to spend no more than $700,000, $800,000, then you tell them, hey, you know, I'm looking for a 10-unit apartment building. This is my budget where in this city or in this state do you think I can find something that kind of fits uh, those parameters? And so you're going to listen to them. And depending on what they tell you, then that's when you kind of set up the um, property showing stage where you actually go out and view properties. And it's a very cumbersome process, but you have to put your eyes on properties. Um, a lot of people will look online at properties and make their assumptions or make the decisions based off of what they see online. Uh, what you have to understand is that whatever you're seeing online, you're only seeing one half of the equation. It's like looking at a picture with one eye closed. Yeah, you're seeing a piece of it, but you're not really getting a full perspective of what this asset is until you actually walk the property. You can actually see with your own eyes if there's any deferred maintenance, if, uh, you know, the grass isn't cut, if there's, you know, loud uh, tenants or dirty tenants. You won't really get to see that unless you're there in person, all right? 
So number one, I would say is reach out to a broker who um, has experience in commercial real estate in that area. Um, another way that you can find a broker like that is you can go on a website that's called loopnet.com. It's spelled L-O-O-P-N-E-T.com. This is a website that is dedicated towards commercial property, kind of how uh, Zillow and Trulia are dedicated towards residential property. Um, yes, you can find good deals on LoopNet. Um, there is one thing that we say in the business is that deals that go to LoopNet are deals go to LoopNet to die. So a lot of times the deals that you find on LoopNet aren't necessarily going to be good deals. They're going to be deals that nobody else has wanted to purchase. But you're not going on that site to find properties. You're going on that site to find a real estate investment broker that can help you find the properties that could be within your scope, right? So LoopNet is a second way that you can find one of those brokers after Google. Um, another way you can do this is that uh, pretty much every major city or urban locale has meetups. Meetups are ba basically networking events where real estate investors, real estate brokers, um, you know, limited partners, manager, managing partners, bankers, they come to meet other people that are in the same business or the same uh, sphere uh, of, of investing that they are. So you can go on meetup.com and type in real estate networking event in the search box and you'll literally see a plethora of different events where there's going to be a, a ton of investors, brokers, lenders, where they convene and they learn and talk and connect with each other about real estate. So that's another place where you can find a broker. Um, also, there is a site that we use called realestatedealsystem.com. I'll say it again, realestatedealsystem.com. This is a portal where let's say you're in Atlanta, Georgia, and you're looking for a commercial property or you're looking for a commercial broker, you can type in uh, a city or a zip code. It's going to pull up all the properties that are registered on the tax database, on the property tax database in that city, right? You'll go up to the filter drop-down box, and then where it says property characteristics, you'll click commercial property five units plus, or you can click storefront, or you can click office space, or you can click whichever box fits the type of property that you're looking for. You now go back to the filter, and there's going to be another drop-down menu that says MLS status. MLS is multiple listing service. It's a portal where all properties that are on the market, where you can see the details of those properties before you go and see them. So when you click that drop-down menu that says MLS status, you're going to click properties that are on market. The reason why you're going to click properties that are on market is because when you click on those properties, you'll see a broker attached to it. So you'll have that broker's email address, their phone number. It gives you all the information on the broker that's representing that listing. So if for whatever reason, that property that you decide to click on is not something that is within your scope that, that you want, you can still reach out to that broker and say, hey, do you have any other listings? Do you have anything off market? Do you have any pocket listings? Um, a pocket listing is a listing that is not publicly online but there is a listing contract between the owner and the broker. And, and they call them pocket listings because they keep those listings in their pocket. They kind of keep them secret and they kind of only want to expose those to investors that they've worked with, you know, several times before. They kind of save uh, the good listings for the investors that they've had the best relationship with, right? So um, that is one of the ways you can begin finding a property and, and finding a broker that can help you on that search, right? 
So uh, number two is getting funding. This is probably the most important thing because if you're going to buy something, you have to know how you're going to pay for it, right? So when it comes to commercial property, typically you can't, well, I'm not going to say typically, you can't use what's called an FHA loan to buy a commercial property. FHA loans, as we all know, those are the low down payment loans where you can put down between three and three and a half percent to purchase residential property between one and four units. With commercial property that's considered five units and higher or office space or storefront or retail, you have to go another route. Um, there's a couple ways. There's a couple routes you, you can go. You can do what's called a conventional loan. Uh, a conventional loan is a loan where your private mortgage insurance is included in your payment. Um, it's typically a loan that requires a higher down payment uh, for commercial property on a conventional loan. You're going to need between 15 to 25% um, to put down. If you don't have a relationship with that lender, it's probably going to lean more towards the 25% down. But um, as you do more deals with the lender and they see that you're purchasing properties that are cash flowing and they're uh, appreciating in value and equity, then you can kind of get lower down payment loans because they begin to see that you are making smart decisions and you're buying uh, properties and assets that are building your portfolio in a profitable way. So um, the way you can find um, you know, uh, a conventional lender, the same thing. I say, go to Google. If you're starting from scratch and you don't know where to start, go to Google, type conventional lender in your city, click search. Again, you're gonna see 15, 20, 30, or even more conventional lenders in that area. You're gonna wanna give them a call and have that same conversation that you've had with the brokers. You're gonna ask, you're gonna ask these lenders do you guys fund commercial property? Do you fund apartment buildings? Do you fund 10 units? If so, how many of those deals do you do a year? Um, if you're dealing with a big box bank like a Chase or a Wells Fargo or a Bank of America, they probably do thousands of those every month. Um, but if you're dealing with a smaller company that's regional or more local or it's a private company, they may not do as many deals. So you want to know how ingrained are they in the commercial lending space? Um, typically those that do a high volume of uh, commercial deals, commercial lending deals, um, you know, it shows that they may have experience and they may have a system and, and they may be somewhere that you want to start. So you would look at the commercial lenders. Um, another route you could take is hard money lenders. Uh, the definition of hard money is basically short-term loans to purchase real estate. Uh, it's called hard money because the interest rates on the loans from hard money lenders are typically much higher than uh, the interest rates from the big box banks, right? So hard money lenders are typically, you know, small companies, usually LLCs, and they're ran by people who have made a lot of money in whatever business. And they say, you know what, we have $10 million. Let's open up a business lending this money out to people that want to purchase real estate or start businesses or whatever the case. And typically they'll charge anywhere from nine to 15%, which is extremely high. Um, one of the reasons why it's extremely high is because these are short-term loans. These aren't loans that are 15, 25, 30 years. Typically they're between you know one year to five year loans. So if they're gonna be in that loan, if they're gonna lend you that money for such a short period of time, then that interest rate needs to be higher because that's how they make their money. They make their money off of lending you money. Uh, you can find hard money lenders the same way, going on Google, 
type hard money lender, Atlanta, Georgia, or hard money lenders, Cincinnati, Ohio. And you'll see a ton of hard money lenders that come up. Um, you can also join different sites like Bigger Pockets, where you can, I believe they have a hard money chat room or a hard money group where there's a ton of hard money lenders that have done deals and they're advertising their services and they have their terms and you can pretty much kind of pick and choose who you want to work with you can call them and and interview them as well and kind of figure out what's going to be the best uh the best company to go with if you decide to go the hard money route uh, another way to finance your commercial properties are finding private investors finding a partner um finding partners I would I, I want to say it's easy because it's a simple formula, but if you don't know how to do it, I can see how it can be kind of challenging. But um, I always say, you know, when you go to hard, I'm sorry, when you go to meetups, there's hard money lenders there, there's investors there that are looking to dump their cash with uh, people that they feel are savvy investors. So meetups are definitely uh, great resources for you to go and find private investors to invest in your deal. Um, one of the ways that I like to feel is a bit more creative and, and where you can reach out to more private investors at scale is that um, if you use the website realestatedealsystem.com, you can search for commercial property, right? And you'll look at the drop down box in that same filter of whatever zip code or city that, that you've picked. And you can click a tab that says cash buyers. And you'll click the tab of people that have bought uh, commercial property in that area for cash. We can pretty much assume that if somebody has bought a five unit building or a 10 unit building for cash in a city, they're most likely an investor. So that investor, you can reach out to them. You'll have their phone number, their email address, their name. You can reach out to them and see if they would like to partner with you or invest in deals that you are doing to where they can be hands off. They can be a private investor, put cash down and let you do the deal. And so you can typically, you know, in a major metropolis, in a major city, when you uh, do that search filter and that search task, you should be able to pull up a, a few hundred uh, names and contact information of investors that have bought commercial property cash in that area. And then it's just about doing the legwork of giving them a call or sending them an email or just starting that dialogue so you can know and try to find out who you can joint venture with or who can fund or finance your deal, right? Um, let me see. Another way that you can finance your deals is do what's called a syndication. Um, a syndication in layman's terms is basically, it's a syndicate. It's when a group of people come together for a common goal. So you can start an LLC, you can form an LLC in your city, city or state. Um, if you've identified people that want to join your syndicate, whether it's your friend, your sister-in-law, your mother, your, your father, you make these partners in your syndicate, you make them general members of the LLC, or you make them part of the management on the LLC, and each one of them puts a certain amount of cash into the pot, and then together, we use these funds to purchase a property, and whether we decide to split the profits by splitting the cash flow, if we're buying an apartment building and we say, you know what, we're going to split the rent five ways, because there's five people in this syndicate, that can be a way that um, you split the profits, or you could say that, you know what, if we flip this property, we're going to split the properties five ways. That's a syndicate. So um, sometimes forming a syndicate is a bit easier if you're trying to fund or finance a deal, because you can reach out to your family members, your friends, your spouse's family members. You can reach out to those people that are in your immediate circle 
that believe in you and trust you and are willing to go on this journey with you in acquiring your first commercial property. And you, you can start small. You don't have to start with a huge deal. You can start with, you know, a $300,000 six unit. And you can say, you know what, I need to, I need to get $50,000 from six family members or $50,000 from six friends or, you know, $50,000 from six associates. So that's another way that you can finance your commercial deals. And uh, I suggest that you definitely take that into account um, pro probably before you reach out to a hard money lender or a commercial bank for a conventional loan, all right? Uh, the third uh, the third part of this process, which is very important, is that once you identify a property, um, when your real estate broker or you know property owners you've reached out to you reach back, you want to you want to view properties in volume. So you don't you don't just want to go look at one deal or two deals. You want to look at 15, 16, 17, 18 deals. You really want to see exactly what's out there and have a plethora of things to choose from. So that way you can pick the best deal. So when you do find, you know, out of those 15 and you find two or three that are attractive, you're going to want to know how do you analyze this deal? How do you know that this is a deal that I should buy? How do, how do I know that this is a deal that's going to make me money and is going to help me build my portfolio and, and be that, that raindrop into the bucket of generational wealth, right? So one of the ways that I analyze commercial property is number one, before I even look at the purchase price, I look at, okay, how much money is this property cash flowing a month or a year? Uh, the, definite, the definition of cash flow is the total revenue that you're getting from the rent, from anything that's making extra money. If there's a laundry, corn laundry there, you wanna look at the total revenue, the total amount of money that this property is making, number one. Number two, um, you can look at like a mortgage calculator to kind of have an idea of what your monthly mortgage payment would be should you decide to purchase this property. And I always compare the total cash flow against what my mortgage payment or debt service would be. Debt service is basically if I was to get a loan for $500,000 to buy a 10 unit and my debt service is $3,000 a month, then I know every single month I have to pay the bank $3,000. So I'm now going to compare that with the cash flow of the building and see, is this building making enough cash flow for me to service my debt, pay my mortgage and expenses and property management and all those things that I need to cover what I need to to properly carry this property. And after those expenses, how much money is left? And so if we just use round numbers, let's say you have a 10 unit building that you're looking for. Uh, I'm sorry, that you found. It's $500,000. Your monthly mortgage payment is gonna be three grand and uh, you're charging $1,000 a month or, or, or the building is renting $1,000 a month per unit. So my total cash flow of that property is $10,000. So I'm gonna minus what my debt service would be, my mortgage payment of $3,000. Now I have $7,000. I'm also gonna factor in uh, my insurance, my property management. Property management typically on the high end comes at about 10% of your total gross revenue. So if, I, so if this building is making 10,000 a month, typically my property management is gonna be 1,000 a month. So after, excuse me, after I subtract my mortgage payment of $3,000, I'm gonna subtract the $1,000 for property management. 
Now I'm looking at $6,000. Um, you're always going to want to take some of your revenue from that building and put it aside for reserves. Reserves just in case something happens, just in case a window gets broken, a toilet gets broken, uh, you have to replace a, a furnace or uh, a water heater, or you know maybe there's a bad hailstorm and the roof gets damaged. So you're typically going to want to save about 10% of your gross revenue and put that aside for reserves or emergency funds. So we've, we've now subtracted the $3,000 mortgage payment, the $1,000 in property management, and the $1,000 in reserves and emergency funds. So now we're left with $5,000. So typically that $5,000 is our profit. That's what gets to go back in your pocket after you have taken care of everything that you need to service the debt, take care of the property, make sure the tenants are in good hands, insurance, et cetera. So 5,000 times uh, 12 months, that's 60 grand a year. So this property that is $500,000 that I put 20% down on, so I put $100,000 down on, after all my expenses, it's making me 60 grand a year. So within two years, within 18 months, my initial, my initial down payment, I've now gotten that back. So that is how I analyze whether a property is worth moving forward with. If I can get my down payment money back within 18 months to two years, then that is a deal that I will really be interested in. Now, if it takes you two years or three years to get your down payment back, that's still a pretty good deal. That's still a pretty good deal. Um, in any situation where you can get your initial investment back within three to three to five years is definitely a deal that's worth uh, uh, taking a hard look at. Um, so yeah, so that's really how you would, would be the first thing that you analyze a property by, the cash flow. Um, number two, you're gonna look at, you know, the, the quality of the property, like what condition is it in? You know, is this a property that when you buy it, you're gonna have to do repairs on it? Are you gonna have to fix a roof? Are you gonna have to paint? Are you gonna have to uh, do what's called tuck pointing, which has to do with the uh, the brick facade of the building, kind of cleaning it up and making it look new again. Um, are you going to have to replace interior flooring and in like the uh, common areas? Are you going to have to replace washers and dryers, etc.? So these are things that you're going to want to look at when you now identify a property that on paper looks like it's going to work for you, that it's going to cash flow for you. Uh, so when you're analyzing, you're going you're gonna to look at, you know, the current condition of, of the property, look to see if there's any deferred maintenance, things that need to be fixed but haven't yet. Uh, you're also going to look at the rent roll. You're going to want to look at, okay, how much are the tenants paying every month, whether they're residential tenants or commercial tenants, you're going to ask for the rent receipts of the tenants. The owner of the property must supply you proof that the tenants are actually paying. Um, I've seen a lot of situations to where when people list commercial properties, they'll say, hey, this property has the potential to make 10000 a month, but there may only be three tenants that are paying rent and the other seven are five months behind, six months behind, or are in the status of eviction. Um, so you're going to want to see proof that the tenants are actually paying rent. And you do that by looking at the rent receipts or also what's called a rent report which it's going to show me in detail which tenants are paying rent, how many are paying on time. If, you know, John Smith in unit 5C has a habit of paying five days late or 10 days late, I want to know that that particular tenant, yeah, pays his rent, 
but he's five days late, 10 days late all the time. So that way I can better analyze and know, you know what, if I do purchase this building and I take over the property, I'm not going to renew his lease when that lease is over. I'm not going to renew his lease and I'm going to find another tenant. I'm going to better screen for another tenant to replace him. Somebody that's going to pay on time so that I can have peace of mind knowing that, you know, uh, my property is going to be performing financially the way I need it to uh, perform. So you're going to want to look at deferred maintenance. You're going to want to look at the tenants and the rent roll. Uh, you're going to want to look at the property taxes. Now, if you're getting a conventional loan to purchase the property, typically the property taxes are going to be rolled into the mortgage payment. So you're not going to have to pay that separately. Um, however, if you are getting like a private loan from a hard money lender or you have a syndication, then that property tax bill is going to be separate. So you're going to want to look at those property taxes and see how much does the property taxes bite into your profit. So if you can still cover the property taxes as part as, your, as, part as your, your mortgage, your debt service, your property management, and your reserves, and you can still make a decent amount of money that allows you to recoup your investment, your initial investment, or your down payment within 18 months to 24 months, or within three, three to five years, then that's still a property that you want to look at. So these are kind of the baseline things that you're going to want to look at while you're analyzing a property that you have found after You've gotten funding, you've gotten a pre-approval letter from a lender, you have your broker that's out there working hard for you, trying to find you the good deals to make you rich. Um, these, those are some of the things that you use to analyze a property, all right? So um, next on my list is, let me see, management, management? Yes, management. So. Everything in life is not necessarily about acquiring something, but managing something. If you have a wonderful, expensive car, but you don't manage it well, you don't get make sure you get your brakes checked and your oil changed and you don't do your 5,000 mile service, your 30,000 mile service, it doesn't matter how great of a car it, it, it is, it's going to fall apart because you're not managing it right. The same thing about real estate. You can find a, a wonderful deal, a beautiful deal. But if you don't manage it right, it can end up costing you money, losing you money. It can actually be something that can actually drive you into the ground. It can actually you know, uh, uh, bring poverty to you if you don't manage it right. So property management, I would say, is one of the most important key factors in the whole process of acquiring commercial real estate and building a portfolio based in commercial real estate. All right, how do you find property managers? The same way you find your lenders and your commercial brokers and the same way you type property management, insert the city, click a Google search. There's going to be a ton of property management companies that come up. So you're going to want to start calling them all and there's going to be a few questions that you ask them. Number one, you're going to ask them, do you guys specialize in management of insert the type of property you're looking to purchase? So if I'm looking to purchase a 10 unit apartment building, I want to make sure that I am engaging a property manager or hiring a property manager that has years of experience in managing 10 unit buildings and 15 unit buildings, et cetera. I don't want to get a property manager that only manages residential property or a property manager that only uh, manages office space because the ins and outs, the intricacies, the little details that come with working with a specific type of property for years, that experience, I'm gonna to wanna to inherit, inherit that. So I wanna hire 
somebody who's an expert at managing the type of asset that I'm looking to acquire. So you'll ask them, you know, um, do you have experience managing tenured apartment buildings? If they say yes, your second question is, how many years have you been doing that for? Um, typically, I like to deal with property managers who have at least 10 years experience in a specific type of property. My logic for that is that if you have been in business for 10 years straight, then that means you must have a pretty good handle on what you're doing. Um, most businesses fail within the first three, three, three to five years. So if, if your company has been existing for 10 years, then I, I can feel it um, at ease knowing that, you know what, you've probably cracked the code and how to successfully run your business. So I'm gonna ask them, how many years have you been in business? They've been in business 10 years, great. If they're a new company and they've been in business between three to five years, I don't necessarily write them off, but there's other things that I'm gonna use to qualify them. I'm gonna look at their reviews on Google. Um, you're gonna wanna ask them, how many properties do they currently manage? So if, they, if they're only managing five 10 unit properties, then I'm like, eh, do you really have the experience I'm looking for? Now, if they're managing 20 10 unit properties or they're managing 50 or 100 or they have three or 4,000 units under management that they manage, then that can tell me that, you know what, these guys are probably experts. They're probably pros. They probably really know what they're doing when it comes to that space of property management. So you're really looking for experience number one, uh, the more units, the better. However, do keep in mind that if they do have a lot of units under management, that can sometimes hurt you. Um, sometimes you can be so big and have so many customers and clients because should you hire them as a property management, uh, management company, you're going to become a client of theirs. So if somebody has a lot of clients, sometimes their customer service or their quality of service can take a hit. So you're gonna wanna kind of balance those very well and say, okay, I'm looking for a big company, a company that has experience doing this for several years, that has a lot of units under management, but I also wanna look at how efficient are they at managing this huge portfolio that they're managing for other investors. And you can kind of do that by looking at reviews. You can go to you know different apartment buildings and you're gonna want to ask them, what are the addresses of some of the properties that you guys manage? You type those addresses in on Google and you look at the reviews. If you're seeing that tenants are complaining about uh, the trash not being picked up, that the trash stays there for five or six days and you know it, it attracts raccoons and rats and you know they always pick up the trash five days late, that's a sign that this company may not be able to handle the amount of clients that they have. And so you going on and being another client, you may be putting yourself in a situation to where your tenants will not get the best quality of living in your properties. And that can have a trickle effect that you may not have tenants to stay in your building long. They may leave, you'll have a high turnover rate, right? So um, you're gonna wanna look at the reviews. Um, is the property management company picking up trash on time? Um, are the property managers kind? Are, are, are they nice to the tenants? You know, you wanna make sure that you have a property manager that's not making your tenants feel unsafe. You know, you wanna make sure that you're property managers are nice people, that they're kind to your tenants. These tenants are your customers. They're your clients. They're the ones that when they pay their rent, they're making you rich. So if you're making me rich, I want to make sure that you love living in my properties, that you love living in my environment. So I don't want my property manager, you know, 
banging on the door at, at 1 a.m. in the morning for the rent because a tenant is three days late or four days late. You know, I still want my tenants to be treated as human beings. And I still want my property management to be kind, but firm. I want them to be kind, not saying that they're going to allow tenants to not pay their rent and they won't say anything and, and they won't do anything, but to make sure that they're uh, kind of acting on, acting on their duties in a very kind, professional, and humane way, right? So you can kind of find out the quality and the reputation of a property manager just by looking at the reviews of the properties that they're managing, all right? Uh, so yeah, finding a property manager, that's probably the easiest part in the whole process. You just, you know, you, you Google property managers, you ask them how long they've been in the business, you ask them how many properties they currently manage, uh, you get the addresses of some of those properties, and then you go and do your due diligence and check on the reviews to see if the tenants have nice things to say, right? So uh, the last part is after, you, after you've acquired your first property or your second property, um, you're going to want to grow. We're doing this to build a portfolio, not just to be one and done or two and done or three and done. So how do you build your portfolio, raise more money, get more loans? So there's a couple ways. Um, let's say this 10 unit that we've bought for 500,000 with $100,000 down, let's say three years later, uh, we've been making $60,000 a year for those three years. It took us 18 months to get our initial $100,000 back plus a profit of what, 80 grand, I believe, right? So now we have $80,000 in profit. And in those two years, three years, let's say the value of that property has gone up in value. It went up 30% in value. So it's not worth 500,000 anymore. Now it's worth 590,000. Um, you can pull out that equity through uh, refinancing or doing what's called a HELOC, home equity line of credit, where you can actually pull out 80% of that increased value that you've seen, of that increased equity, and you can use that money coupled with the profit that you've made over the last two or three years, and you can use that on a down payment to go and acquire another property the same way you got your first property. And that's really how you kind of uh, purchase fix up, get it stabilized, then you refinance, pull out equity and do it again. And so um, that is probably, I guess, the simplest and easiest way to begin building a portfolio and um, acquiring more property. Um, but it, you really aren't able to do that unless you start building that foundation properly, making sure that you're finding properties that are in neighborhoods or in areas that are most likely to appreciate in value. Um, or uh, you are purchasing properties that have equity in them al already, meaning you're buying them below market value, or you're purchasing properties that are cash flowing. Even if you're purchasing something at market value, um, they're selling it for 500000 and it's worth 500000 If there's significant cash flow there, then that cash flow, that profit, your profit that you're able to take from that, you can use that to put on a down payment to acquire another property. And that's really the game. That's really how, it's not really rocket science. It's about just making sure that each one of those steps you execute flawlessly or you execute them pretty damn good. And uh, that's how you build your portfolio, build your generational wealth. You have assets that you can pass down to your family. You're allowed to live a great life. You're allowed to you know, buy all the, the things that you can have fun with, vacations, all, all of that stuff. You want to use that from cash flow and profits that are coming from assets you own, not from money that you actually uh, have to work for and trade your time for. You want your assets to fund your lifestyle. Um, so we're going to go to questions now. 
Um, we have a question here that says, how do I get financing to purchase and renovate? Uh, great, so uh, there's two ways. Uh, I know we're talking about commercial real estate now, but um, there is a loan that's called a 203K loan. That 203K loan is actually reserved for residential properties between one and four units. So a 203K loan, the lender will give you the money to purchase the property and the money to also rehab and renovate the property. Uh, the way you get approved for a 203K loan, it is an FHA mortgage. So uh, you just have to have your two years of tax returns, uh, typically a credit score of at least like a 620. I know FHA does go down to 580. Um, to be honest, I'm not sure if you'll be able to get a really good 203K loan if you have a 580 credit score, but um, that's something that you can ask your lender about. Um, you'll just want to make sure that you have your three or three and a half percent down payment, depending on what the lender's guidelines are under their 203k FHA loan. Um, if you aren't going with a 203k loan to purchase a residential property and you're going commercial, you're going conventional, then uh, conventional banks, conventional lenders, uh, private, private lenders, hard money lenders, they also will fund you the uh, purchase price of the property to purchase the property and the money to renovate the property if it still fits within the guidelines to where it can be profitable to where it can still cash flow after you've purchased and renovated um, typically a lender is going to want to is going to want to finance a deal that has what's called a 10 cap or uh, uh, a cap rate of 10 percent a cap cap rate means capitalization rate it basically means that this is the percentage of profit or, or return that we will make after, uh, every year after we've dumped all the money into the deal. So just for an easy round number, if we're purchasing a property for $100,000 and it's at a 10% cap rate, that means that that property after all expenses is gonna be making $10,000 a year. So typically lenders want to finance deals that are at, at least at a 10% capitalization rate. Um, in certain markets, some lenders are willing to go down on that a little bit. Um, in the Northeast, you may be able to find lenders that will do a seven cap or an eight cap, just because you know properties in the Northeast are a bit higher and a bit more expensive. Um, same goes for uh, California as well. But uh, typically, uh, a 10% cap rate deal is something that a lender is going to love to entertain and say, you know what? Let us hear more. Let us look at the numbers. Let us see what your plans are for this property. Uh, somebody says, suppose you already have a home mortgage. How will that affect your loan options? So if you already have a mortgage on your primary home, uh, the lender is going to look at your DTI, which is called your debt to income ratio. So they're going to look at your current income and your current debts and say, okay, can you afford to take on more debt? Can you afford to take on another mortgage while you still have the expense of the current mortgage of your home, which is not a cash flowing asset? It's an asset that you're living in. So they're going to look at uh, that ratio and say, okay, can you afford the extra debt? And if you can, then yeah, there's not a problem getting funded. Um, if you are purchasing cash flowing real estate, so we are going to purchase a 10 unit apartment building but we already have our single family home that we live in with our wife and kids. And, and that mortgage is you know $2,000 a month for that primary home. Then they're gonna deduct, okay, they're gonna look at, okay, this 10 unit that Tosin wants to buy is bringing in $10,000 a month. His mortgage payment is gonna be $3,000 a month. 
his um, property management is going to be a thousand a month. His reserves going to be a thousand a month. So he's cash flowing five thousand dollars a month. So if we give him another mortgage to buy another cash flowing property, is he able to pay his home mortgage, which is two thousand a month, plus carry the debt of this ten unit? So if this ten unit is going to yield me five thousand a month in profit. And they say his current home mortgage is two thousand. Then they say, okay, five thousand minus two thousand. Now he's profiting three thousand dollars from that ten thousand. That's thirty-six grand a year in profit. They may say, you know what? He's still able to be profitable even taking on this extra debt because he's still at a profit of thirty-six grand a year. So a lender will say, you know what? Not a problem. We'll finance you. However, if Adding on your current mortgage with the new debt is going to bring you too close to a space to where, let's say you have three, three tenants who like, you know, they lose their jobs that month, you know, uh, COVID-19 happened and five of your tenants lost their jobs and they can't pay you rent. Is Tosin going to still be able to pay us the mortgage on this if his occupancy drops from 100% to 50%? And if that answer is no, then they're going to say, hey, you know, your DTI is too high and they won't fund. So um, that's that's typically how that goes. So uh, if we have any more questions, I'll definitely love to take those. Uh, just to give you guys a little bit of a history on me, uh, I started in real estate in 2012, 2013-ish in New Jersey. Um, didn't actually hop into the game until about 2015. I spent the first couple of years wholesaling, learning how to analyze properties, learning how to find properties for other investors. And it was during that time that I was able to find out these little caveats that um, kind of make or break a deal, um, finding out these little caveats on how to find cash buyers, how to find investors, how to buy, how, how to find funders, uh, building relationships with like the city zoning department, you know, so I can get my hands on city owned property that can many times be purchased uh, way below under market value. So uh, these are some of the things that um, I kind of spent a couple years doing in the beginning before I actually decided to jump out there and start building a portfolio for myself. Uh, someone says, should I buy a single family home or multifamily unit for the first property? Um, for all of you guys that know me, I will all I stand on that your first property should always, 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 always be a multifamily property. Um, the reason being is that you want to buy assets that can fund your lifestyle and fund your growth. So if my first property is a multifamily property and the units from that property is covering my mortgage, my property management, my insurance, my property taxes, and there's still a profit there, I have an asset that's cash flowing, that's appreciating in value, and it's also kicking out money to me every month. So I can now use that money, that cash flow, that extra cash from that asset, I can go use that to grow my empire, grow my portfolio, or I can use that money to fund my lifestyle. You know, if I want to put my kids in private school, or I want to take my family on a vacation, I don't have to get the money by trading my labor from a nine to five. I may have a nine to five, not saying that I shouldn't have a job, but you don't have to depend on your quality of life based off of the hours that you trade. Uh, for money. And so that just gives you a bit more peace of mind, knowing that I have money working for me, while I'm not even really looking, looking over there or paying attention to it. So multifamily is always I feel in my opinion, is the best way to uh, purchase your first property. Um, and then you know, also the cash flow from that multifamily property can help you to buy more and you can grow that way. Always keep in mind, 
you want to purchase assets. Assets make money, liabilities take money. If you're buying a single family home with your FHA mortgage and you intend to live in it, technically by definition, that single family home is a liability. It's not an asset because if you're living in it and you're not renting it out, you're not making money from it. So it's not putting money in your pocket. Assets make money, liabilities take money. So just keep that um, in your mind as, as you're going about deciding what, what properties to buy. Uh, someone says HELOC, the amount taken, are those funds a new mortgage or added to the existing mortgage? So um, it depends. So you can take out a second mortgage on your home. So another lender will become second in lien to the first lender. And a HELOC essentially is a second mortgage, or it can be like a revolving line of credit, meaning you take out 80% of your equity and then they just add that to the balance of what you currently owe. So you're gonna wanna ask your lender, I guess the best way that uh, they would be willing to fund you on that deal. Uh, me personally, I think it's better to look at just pulling out that equity and having that extra amount just added on top of your current mortgage uh, instead of taking out a second mortgage. But both of those are your options. Uh, someone says, do you have any recommendations on lending slash funding sources for 100 plus units? Uh, yes, I mean, there's a ton of ways that you can fund a, a 100 plus unit property. Um, really, what you're going to want to focus on right there is how to get that 20% that you're going to need to get that deal done. Um, any lender, private lender, hard money lender, conventional lender, big box bank, on 100 plus units, they're going to want at least 20% down. So getting that 20%, you can pull from savings if you have. If you have property that has equity, you can pull that equity out. Uh, if you have really good credit and you have high limit business credit cards, you can take that 20% from your credit lines, making sure, so this is very important. If you're gonna pull your down payment from high limit credit cards, whatever your interest rate is on those credit cards, or if you're borrowing money as a down payment to get more debt to purchase another property, whatever you're borrowing your money at, whatever interest rate that is, you're gonna wanna make sure that that, that that interest rate is lower than the annual return on the property that you're buying. So typically credit cards have high interest rates. They have high APRs unless you have great credit and you have you know low APR interest rates or some credit cards, they have 0% interest for the first year. So let, let's say your interest rate on your credit card is 15% and you have three credit cards where you have a $50,000 limit on each one of those credit cards. So you have $150,000 you have access to, but the interest rate on each one of those cards is 15%. You're going to want to make sure that the property you're purchasing, that that annual return is higher than 15%. So I'm going to want to, if I'm, if I'm going to use money that I have to pay 15% a year on, I want to make sure the property I'm buying is at least 20%, it has a 20% annual return or a 25% annual return. So that way, when I'm paying back the debt that I borrowed, I minus 25 from 15 and I have a 10% return on investment. That 10% is my profit. Or if it's a 20% annual return after I pay my 15% of, on the money that I'm borrowing, I've made 5%. So don't be turned off if you have credit cards that have high interest rates. Just make sure that whatever properties you're buying, 
the annual return is higher than the interest rate on the credit cards that you're taking from, right? So um, that's really how you wanna analyze it. Uh, if you look at it that way, you're not really scared about taking expensive money or borrowing money at an expensive rate. But now you just know that you have to be very diligent in making, in making sure that the properties you are looking to acquire have a higher annual return so that way you don't end up in hot water or getting a property uh, foreclosed on or, or repossessed. Uh, someone says, I have a single family and I'm thinking about starting an investment LLC and deeding the single family over to the LLC. Is this a good idea? Uh, I guess my first question to ask is that single family property, is that paid in full? Is that free and clear? Is it a free and clear property? Meaning is there no debt on that property? Um, if there is no debt on that property, then sure, I don't see anything wrong with deeding it over to the LLC. Um, if you want to rent it out and get income from it, that's a great idea. Um, it definitely takes some liability off of you by having a property in an LLC. Um, however, if you if it is free and clear and you don't decide to deed it over into an LLC, there are still ways that you can be protected by having that property in your name, you know, having a homeowner's insurance policy having insurance. So if somebody does slip and fall and they want to sue you, you know, your insurance can cover it, you know, so it really just depends which way you want to go. Um, if you are going into full investor mode, then yeah, I would say deed it over to the LLC if it is free and clear. Um, if it's not free and clear, that's really a question you want to have with your lender. Um, some lenders won't let you deed over a property into an LLC if you still have an active mortgage uh, on that property in your, in your name. Not all lenders are like that. Some lenders are. A lot of the big box banks are. Um, a private lender may do it. A hard money lender may do it. But that's something that's really uh, is really kind of based on the policy of the lender that you're dealing with. So that's a question that you're going to have to ask your lender because all lenders have different services. They have different ways that they sell you money. And so uh, you're going to want to find a lender who has the best terms that are uh, uh, viable for what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, someone says, I have a home, but I want to get a multifamily. Do I have to live in one? Uh, yes, only if you're getting an FHA loan to purchase the multifamily. If you're getting an FHA loan to purchase a multifamily, that's an owner-occupied loan. It means that one of the units you have to live in. Now, if you don't intend to live into the property, you can still get a conventional loan to purchase a multifamily property, and then you can rent out all the units, and you don't have to live in that property. So... That's my uh, um, answer to that one. If we have any more questions, I'll gladly, gladly take your, your questions. And uh, yeah, I think we've pretty much kind of gone over that. Uh, I just wanna finish off by saying that, hey, I appreciate all of you that have tuned into this live. Uh, I wanna commend all of you for taking the time to educate yourself and learn what you need to learn to be able to build a portfolio, uh, build wealth for yourself and your family. It's something that uh, takes a lot of intention and so you searching for that information is very, very, very admirable. And I just wanna encourage you guys to keep on your journey, no matter how long it takes or how quick it takes, keep on your journey. Nothing that is good comes easy. Although sometimes you get lucky and you can get some good things very, very quickly. But um, I just wanna encourage you guys, you guys are in the right space, you're in the right mental space. Uh, I'm praying for you all, I'm rooting for you all. And I wish all of you guys success, I'm sorry, success, health and wealth. Take care.
such a great course. Yes. Yes, right? I've got so much good information. We hope that you all enjoyed the course. We hope that we got to all of your burning questions regarding the topic. Um, stay tuned for more information about your instructor. You can definitely reach out to them. That information will go to you via email regarding their bio and ways to get in touch with them so they can answer more of your questions if you have it. And included in that email, we will also provide you with more perks and um, discounts and offerings on membership here, as well as some other offerings you want to stay tuned for. So make sure you're on the lookout for your email. Um, but thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you in the next class.